Our scripture reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, and Galatians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And now Galatians 3, verses 5 through 9. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is God's word. Please be seated. Thanks, Ben. Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Thank you to Eric for preaching last week as um, my family and I were out of town on vacation. So good to be back with you guys this morning. And as Ben said, I'm excited to start a new sermon series called The Church Gathered and Sent. And also, like Ben said, this sermon series is really us exploring what it means to be the church in the world. And I want to point out as we enter into today in the sermon series that right now, every single one of us is, is deeply shaped by two kinds of stories. The stories we live and the stories we live into. All of us right now are being shaped by the stories we live and the stories we live into. The stories we live, it's our life, right? It's, it's our biography. It's our joys. It's our sorrows. It's our accomplishments. It's our failures. It's, it's our life that you and I are living right now as we try to make a coherent narrative out of our life so far and where we think we're going. That's the life we're living. But we also all live into some story. And that really is what this sermon series is about. It's about what story are we going to live into? What story do we live into that gives us a view of the good life. Because you see, the stories that we live into are the stories that precede us and continue beyond us, and they are bigger than us, which is why it draws our attention to want to be a part of those stories. It's why it draws our desires to lean into those stories and to live into those stories. For, for some of us, uh, we live into the story of success, right? The the, the story that tells us if and when we reach some type of accolades or some type of amount of money in the bank account or some type of, you name it, whatever it is that is specific to your particular vocation or your occupation or your interests, there is a story of success and many of us live into that story. It's a story that many people have been a part of and many people will be a part of after we die, but we just want a little piece of it. 
And so we shape our lives towards that end. Some of us live into the story of power. And, and what that might look like in your life is you always want to find yourself aligning with those who are in power. Because you know that you will probably never be that person, but if you can somehow be attached to them, if you can somehow be associated with those in power, you too can experience life in that story. Right? This is not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons why we love sports so much. We love sports teams and we feel that ownership because we want to be a part of a story that's bigger than us. We want to be a part of a winning story. And so we live into that reality. Whatever it is, we all experience living into a story as well as living a story. And the Bible offers us very clearly the ultimate story of what God is up to in the world. God the one who created all things, the one who's redeeming all things. We find this in the scriptures. And we, as the church, are called to live into this story, to be a part of this story, to inhabit the story of God's mission is the call to the church. It is our call, which is why it is the vision of New City. The vision and mission of New City is not my vision. It's not the elder's vision. Our job isn't to come up with some organizational vision that you buy into and then you help us accomplish it. Our job is to say in our own specific way what we believe the Bible calls all Christians to. And then to pray and preach and disciple into the DNA of every single person in this church. The vision of God and for his church. And that is to seek the flourishing of those around us through Jesus Christ. And so with that, we start off the new year with this new sermon series. And so why not start at the beginning? For two reasons. One, it's always good to start at the beginning of a story. The other reason is because in our community Bible reading that Ben mentioned, we are in Genesis. And so as you have seen, if you've been reading with us, we're not quite to chapter 12 yet. But you've read that God created all things. You've read that in chapter 3, the pinnacle of his creation, his image bearers, Adam and Eve, choose to rebel against him. And now the earth seems to be in a downward spiral. We see from chapter 3, 16 on, particularly we, we see murder. We see the use of technology toward alienating people towards moving people further away from God. We see vengeance. We see social stratification. We see injustice. We see social realities oppressing those who are weaker, all in a few chapters from 4 to 11. So the question then is, what is God going to do about this? He said in chapter 315 that it wasn't going to be this way. He said in chapter 3, verse 15, that he was going to bring redemption and bring restoration to all things. So what is God going to do? And that's where we pick up in chapter 12, verse 1. And maybe we'll be surprised that what God's going to do is go to an old, comfortable man with no children and say, I think I'll choose you to begin my comprehensive mission to redeem all things. I think I'll choose you and your descendants Not because I have to, not because you could do it on your own, not because you have great potential, but because I want to. And this is my plan. 
And that's where we pick up in our text today, Genesis 12, verse 1. And I want to make three observations about what's happening in our passage today. And the first one is simply the call to mission. We see it right away in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And then we go to verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. So go, Abram, verse 4, and Abram went. And I want to point out the obvious, right? There's no reason not to. The, the first thing God does is call Abram to mission. And we see simply put that to the call to mission is a call to trust God. Right? Because Abram had to trust this God who had never revealed himself to him, but he comes to Abram and tells him to go, and Abram has to trust God. So the call to mission is always a call to trust God. And I think the most stunning thing about this call to mission is the comprehensiveness of it. You see, it is geographically comprehensive, right? I'm going to bless you, and through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So in that sense, it's comprehensive. But when we understand the word blessing in Genesis up to this point, we also see that his whole plan for this geographical reality called the entire planet, right? That's big, but also this word blessing is big. When God blesses things in Genesis, it is everything. Every, every part of his creation is blessed. It, it's fruitful. It's abundant. It's in harmony with his design. And of course, that's the destructiveness of sin, is that sin disrupts that harmony. Sin destroys fruitfulness and abundance, and it constricts, and there are thorns, and there are thistles. And that is what happens with the fall or sin. But blessing is the opposite. Blessing is a restoration of abundance. And not only vertically, although it starts that way, but also socially. Blessing would include all of this evil around him. Somehow God is going to bless Abraham, and through him, bring social blessing to people and societal blessing. And somehow the, the destruction of creation will, will be blessed again because the curse went everywhere God had created, to the ground, to the relationship with human beings, to the relationship between human beings and God, from the relationship of human beings to the earth. And so the comprehensive reality of what he's actually saying to Abraham is astonishing. And so, Abraham has to trust God first that God actually has the power to accomplish what he says he's going to accomplish. Right? The situation of Abraham is that he's pretty old. He has no children. He's a pagan. And yet, somehow, God says, you're mine and you're going to be a nation. Well, the first problem is, Abraham has no kids. That's the very first thing. The second thing is that Abraham presumably has a pretty comfortable life where he lives with his people, with his kindred. But alas, Abram trusts God. And I want to point out that God does something like we see here all throughout the scriptures. He calls people who are woefully unqualified and inadequate just on the surface in order to accomplish his purposes, right? And that's true of you and me. 
So as you, if you've been around New City, you've heard me say many times, you've heard Ben say, you've heard us all say, that God calls us to be on mission with him everywhere we live, learn, work, and play. And I don't say that because I think that we are particularly noteworthy. I don't say that because I think God needs us or, or he looks at us and he says, those group of people at New City, Orlando has no hope without them. I don't mean that at all. I just actually believe that the prerequisite for trusting God on his mission and being fruitful in the mission he calls us to is to first recognize that we are woefully inadequate, woefully unqualified, and yet take one small but bold step in following him where he would call us, right? And and that leads to the, the next thing of trusting God is oftentimes we have no idea what mission he's called us to. So when I say at the end of the service in the benediction, you are sent. You should hear, two, two, hear me say two things. One, I'm not sending you. When I say you are sent here in a little bit, I'm not the one that's sending you. God is the one who's sending you. And I'm just telling you, I believe God has sent us all, so you're sent. You've been blessed to be a blessing, as we saw in our text. And so I don't know what that will actually look like for you this week. What I do know is that when I send you, uh, when God sends you through me, rather, uh, I am sending you with his authority to trust him. And I don't know where he will call you to trust him this week. But the first step is to actually trust that he is sending you. And so this week, it may look like opening your mouth and encouraging your neighbor. It could be your workplace. It could be your next door neighbor. It may look like asking for forgiveness for someone at work, from someone at work, where you actually walk up to them And say, hey, last week I was short with you. I was short with you because I I was annoyed in general. And I I thought what you were saying was was naive. And I realize now how arrogant that was. And how demeaning that is to you. And I'm very sorry. Will you please forgive me? What would that look like? What would that do? Or maybe... You uh, trusting God, it looks like keeping your mouth shut this week and developing your skills so you can better serve your neighbor through your work. Maybe that's how this week God is sending you on mission to trust him. But if I don't open my mouth, how will I get recognized? Just trust me and work. Trust me and be faithful to what you've been called to do by your supervisor because in that you're serving your neighbor because I've sent you there. You're serving your neighbor, whether it's your coworker or your boss or your customer or whoever it would be. Whatever God may call you to do specifically this week, I don't know, but I do know it will require you and me to trust him. And you see that with Abram right away. The second thing that's obvious to us when we read this verse, particularly one in four, is that the call to mission isn't only a call to trust God, it's also a call to relationship with him. It's a call to to relationship with the God of mission. He says to Abram, I will bless you and you will bless. And what we need to know is that blessing is not transactional when God does it. When God blesses his people that they may be a blessing and when we bless others as conduits of his blessing, it's not transactional. We are persons in relationship with other persons. And therefore it is 
in the soil of rich relationship, that blessing is cultivated and we are a conduit of that blessing. So that's why we want to know our neighbors. It's one reason why. It's one reason why we want to listen and love and be curious about our coworkers and their lives. And the needs of our city, we want to listen to those who are being oppressed in our city, not so we can get the, merely, merely get the right laws in place, but also so that we may bear their burdens with them, that we may empathize with them, that we then can receive God's forgiveness and then offer that forgiveness to disrupted relationships through our own loving of people. And many of them won't be like us. And so we have to know them and be in relationship with them in order to be a blessing to them. You see, those who are blessed know the God who is blessing them. That's what I'm saying. For Abraham to be blessed, he came to know who God was. And this is why God later makes a covenant with Abraham. A covenant is not like a contract. In fact, it's very risky. It's in a covenant relationship, it's risky because there's no way out for either party in the covenant. There's no loophole in God's covenant that he makes with Abraham. And so to think that God would be hiring Abraham as like a 1099 contract worker would be the wrong way to think about this, right? That would be like saying, God has this vision for the world and he's like, okay, who, who's not doing anything right now? Who has a few skills that I can contract with? And then I can, you know, I don't want them to be a full employee, that's too, that's too risky. I might want to let them go. No, that's not what God did. He said, I'm committing myself to Abraham. He's committed to me and his descendants forever. My mission is through them. I'm hitching my wagon to this promise, to this covenant. I mean, to, to think about it the other way, it'd be like marriage, right? Think about marriage. Imagine that um, marriage, a uh, marriage arrangement uh, would go like this. Um, a husband decides that he wants to be in a marriage with a woman because he wants to pass on his name. So he needs kids to do that. And he thinks it's good to be in a marriage. And so he marries a woman and they have children. And he says, I'm, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you by paying the bills, by giving you a place to live, and by giving you something to do, like raising the kids. That doesn't sound like a very good marriage, does it? That sounds very contractual. That sounds very transactional. And we laugh because we know that's ridiculous. We know that's not a marriage. That's something else. It's not a marriage. It's not a covenant relationship. And so what we need to understand is that when we're trusting God, we're not merely trusting God because he's more powerful and because he decided to impose his will on us and enlist us in this story, but it's because he's brought us into relationship with him. Blessing is intrinsic to covenant relationships. So we must keep the relationship between these two things together, right? Responding to God's call is for us to join him in this comprehensive mission that he is sending us on, but it's also to see that God calls us simultaneously to a dynamic and dependent intimacy with him. And we're not going to talk about this as much today. That's next week. But know this, God always goes first and then we respond, and when God sends his people on mission, he's always present with them. Because if we didn't have God's presence and we weren't cultivating a relationship with him, our mission would be fruitless and useless. So we'll talk about more of that next week. But first we see the call to mission with Abraham. Next observation I see in this text is we see the cost of mission. Look what Abraham left. 
Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And then I will make of you a great nation, so on and so forth. And so Abraham went, but he left a lot. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says that Abraham basically exchanged what he knew for what was unknown. Right? He was 75 years old. He'd lived here in his father's house for quite some time. And now God's calling him to leave what he knows into what is unknown. That he'll find his reward, not in what he could see, but what he can't yet see, which is a great nation. Of course he couldn't see that. He had no kids yet. And yet God was somehow going to make him a great nation. He had to leave what was, what was tangible, right? An inheritance from his father to what was intangible, a name that I will give you. So Abraham lost a lot, potentially. You see, oftentimes I think we're scared to trust God because we're scared of what it might cost us. We're scared of what it might cost us to keep our mouth shut or to open our mouth or or to go meet that person or to forego some opportunity for whatever reason. You see, I think we're scared to trust him in lots of ways. For example, maybe we're scared to trust him for our reputation. And we think, God, if I don't take this job, how will I ever get the reputation I need to make me feel worthwhile? If I, if I don't take this job, or if I do take this job, how can I trust you with my career? God, if you don't give me this job, how can I trust you for my reputation, or my success, or my fulfillment, or my satisfaction? You see, when we see something in front of us that we believe can give us satisfaction, or can give us a sense of success, or prestige, And yet we know because we walk with Jesus that God is actually calling us for some reason we don't know. What we do know is he's calling us away from that and we're afraid we might lose out on that. If you haven't experienced that yet, you will experience it. And most of us have experienced it many times. We, We may fear the loss of the known, the certain, the comfortable, the seemingly sure for that which is less known, less comfortable, and less sure. You see, I think the real cost of mission in both the mundane and the seemingly heroic decisions we make, is the loss of control. I think we have this sense of control that we're building this life for some type of success, some story we're living into, and yet we believe God might be calling us to something less known, and that's very scary. But more than the fear, it's the fear of loss, of control. And I'm not saying that we don't have responsibility or God doesn't give us desires that are good. I'm not saying that, or that God's not giving us a choice or agency. But what I am saying is that the final decision is not ours. It's his. And I think Abraham models that for us. Abraham left what was known for what was unknown. And so there is a cost to mission, and it's a sense of loss of some type. How do I leave what I know to what I don't know? How do I leave what seems so sure to what seems less sure, even in the mundane Or in the heroic. And the third observation, I think, is not just that there's a call to mission and that there's a cost to mission that we see for Abraham and all who would join God in mission, but also when we're called to mission, we're called to be conduits of blessing. 
And so in our passage, we've seen God's call to, to Abraham, and we've observed certain principles from him, right? First thing is to trust God, but we trust God in relationship with God. And because we're in relationship with God, we can, we can trust him for the, the cost of what he is asking us to leave behind. Those are all great principles, really, really important. And I hope that you get them, and I hope that you're confronted with those realities. But if we only stop with these principles, I think we miss the importance of this passage and this promise to Abraham for our lives every day right now. And that's why I have Galatians chapter 3 here. So let's read it, starting in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see, you and I who have faith in Jesus, we are fulfillment of this promise to Abraham that we read in Genesis 12. He said, I will make you a great nation. I will give you descendants. You and I, Paul is saying here, we are a fulfillment of that promise because of our faith in Jesus. We now share in the faith of Abraham. And if we share in the faith of Abraham, we share in the blessing of Abraham, that God has blessed us with his presence in Christ, that God has blessed us with his presence in our lives. But if we share the blessing of Abraham, which we do, we also share in the mission of Abraham. They both go together. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. And so why is New City all about this all the time? Why do we talk about being sent? Why do we talk about communing with God and that leading to community with one another and to co-mission for the world? It's because we believe that God's mission is to be with his people. And as he's with his people, Those people then take his presence all over the world in every sphere of life. And we believe the Bible from Genesis chapter 3 onward to the end in Revelation is a story of how God is going to reunite all things so that he can be with his people, that he can dwell with us. And so the way he's going to do that is as we're renewed in him and we take that blessing to our neighbors. And so in Jesus, we inherit Abraham's blessing, and therefore we also inherit Abraham's mission, and the way we inherit both by faith. You see, we don't earn blessing or create blessing. We receive God's blessing, and then we become conduits of his blessing. You see the logic? We can see it right here in the text, and Paul makes it very clear. Just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. And so you and I, we must reject the ordinary and natural stream of thinking about how God relates to us. And this is how we can ordinarily fall into thinking. We believe that the gospel is to obey and then be accepted. We believe and obey and then we're saved. But Paul says that we're justified 
by faith, that we receive God's blessing by faith and by nothing else that we do. And so this is my question. Do you in your mind say, okay, God's calling me on mission. I got this general sense that my life should be about him. It's mostly not. And so I live in constant fear of asking myself, am I doing enough? And if that resonates with you at all, which it does resonate with me, we fundamentally are missing the fact that God blesses first. He saves first. He didn't go into Egypt and say, okay, here it is. Here's the plan. Get everything together, get yourself together. And then I'll think about saving you. Here's your checklist. I'm going to make it really simple for you. Check this, this, and this. Then I will save you. Then I'll take you to the promised land. No, he saved them before he really ever told them what he was doing. He said, okay, now you're mine. You're saved. Therefore, follow me. This is the logic of the gospel. This is the logic of faith and blessing in the Bible. And so, listen, we obey in mission because we are accepted. Let me ask you this question. What if you believe that in Jesus Christ, you have everything? What if you already have all of the love and intimacy and you have the guaranteed future that you so desire that that's actually yours in Jesus? That you don't have to prove yourself to anyone about anything. What if that continued It is true, by the way, but what if you continue to experience that truth in Christ? How would that free you? How could you rest? How could you love your neighbor? Because I'll tell you this, if we leave here sent thinking, we really gotta, we gotta get everything together so we can go out and be sent and and be a blessing to our neighbors, that will be exhausting. But if we say, I want to look to Christ and receive all of the blessing that I have in him moment by moment, every day, that will overflow in such a way where you won't be able to contain all of that joy. You won't be able to contain all of that longing to see other people experience this. You won't be able to contain your discontent with with injustice. You won't be able to contain your discontent with the oppression of your neighbors. You won't be able to deal with that because the joy that is in you of what it's like to experience true flourishing and true blessing in communion with God will overflow into you pursuing your neighbors and loving them. That's the logic of blessing, to, a bless to be a blessing. And listen, I wanna end here. I know some of us are so tired. We said at the beginning of the year, we feel like we should have energy and we don't. It's actually worse than it was before Christmas. I get that. I feel that this morning. It could be life, it could be work. It could be all types of things. We feel absolutely beaten down. We feel burdened. And I, and I don't want you to hear this, but I know some of you hear this as a burden more than anything else. And, and what I would say to you is I would point you to, to a couple of things. And that is first, the wonderful news that to be on mission is first of all to be with God. A few verses, a few chapters later, Abraham has gone through a, a few things. You'll read it uh, in community Bible reading. And he's really concerned that God isn't gonna come through on his promise And God says, Abraham, I am your shield. I will bless you. And God is saying to you who also are in Abraham, because you share the faith of Abraham, Christian, 
I am your shield in Jesus. I will bless you. I will bless you with my presence. And next are Jesus' words in the Great Commission, which really is another restatement of what Abraham is told. Abraham, go. What does Jesus say? Go. But then he says this, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And so to be called on mission is first of all to be called to commune with God, the God of mission. To be caught up in God's movement in the world. Leslie Newbegin, who was a missionary and then later um, all types of things really. He says this, the deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where he is. On the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. You see, when we're sent, we're sent not as though Jesus were the commander who said, you go and I'm here, but we're sent by the Jesus who says, I'm going, come with me. And so the motive of mission is to be with Jesus. And so let me, this is how I'll end. Living with God for the world is another way of stating our vision. We exist to see our communities flourish through the gospel of Jesus Christ because we want to live with God as this church for the world. That's how it will happen. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now um, giving you our weariness because you're with us. Uh, laying down our preoccupation with earning and with success and with trying to stand out and, and rather just accepting your love for us as we see most clearly in Jesus. We ask that you would now meet us in that place in our heart where we're most weary, where we're most tired and that you would help us experience your presence there by your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.